This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Al Jorgensen and company return. March 9th, Ministry's new record, Americant, is available via Nuclear Blast Records. The politically charged new album features the singles Antifa and Wargasm, featuring Burton C. Bell of Fear Factory. Catch Ministry on tour starting March 22nd with Chelsea Wolfe and special guest former Slipknot drummer Joey Jordison and Burton C. Bell of Fear Factory. Americant is available on CD, cassette, exclusive vinyl covers, and t-shirt bundles at NuclearBlast.com. Once again, Ministry's new record, Americant, is out March 9th. Go right now to NuclearBlast.com. Pick yourself up a copy. Rock and roll autobiographies tend to be the same. Money, drugs, and sex. But there's one story unlike any other. How to walk away from fuck you money. The Izzy Stradlin story. Izzy explains why he wouldn't want a piece of the Guns N' Roses reunion tour. Because of his principles. High quality bullshit. Fuck you money. Like any true hard rocker, Izzy has a few apologies to make. I need to apologize for what I did. I am sorry for saying you can't see me while at a school for the blind. I'm sorry for not feeding my dogs for a week just so I could film them eating each other. But not Axl Rose. I'm super sorry for screaming gross poor people while at a soup kitchen. Or apparently his bank account. How to walk away from fuck you money. The Izzy Stradlin story. Available wherever books are sold. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Ah, Metal Sucks Podcast, everybody. Hey, it is I, your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by... Mm, yeah, mm, Brandon Kuchan, yeah. And... Jocelyn Sharp. What was that about, bro? <laughs> I, was, oh, I, just I was very to, happy. I, I was just really excited like to be here. I was really... Motherfucking bricks. Chicken sandwich. And the interview this week, guys, uh, I got to interview uh, one of the most important bands of me growing up, for sure, was Will Haven. So um, it was just a, a fantastic opportunity for me to get to talk to guitarist Jeff Irwin of Will Haven. Their new record, Muerta, is out March 23rd, guys. And before we get to that interview, we always like to touch base and talk about the Metal Sucks news. The first story, if you did not hear our bit, um, well, it's about Izzy Stradlin, who, uh, well, uh, apparently, according to an ex- Guns N' Roses manager. Let's just throw that out. This is the source. Um, Izzy did get as far as flying out and doing a sound check, and he left after the sound check, and he didn't want anything to do with this reunion. Now, so he walked away from like what half of or half a billion dollars? Yeah, yeah. no, no, half a million dollars. You know, uh, a tour that was a year. So his cut, minimal. We're guessing here is like twenty five million. How do you? I don't, no. I don't. I don't understand. I mean, Why exactly, would you? <laughs> dude. Hitler, Minimal. Hitler could go. Gooch, we're getting the band back together, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. What, how much money are we talking about? Here? And I'm like, and what I, do you think we're gonna gross? You know. <laughs> Really? No. <laughs> Stupid. Of course not. But I'm just saying, like... You're it, German. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, I looked... I'm all American. <laughs> That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to, like, have... what? Like, what would make you do that? Well, uh, we, all, we all know that... Uh, Axl Rose will make you do that. Bef- working with a tyrant like that, yeah. Well, I mean... Now, I don't know about We now, don't want to call him a tyrant now. But, but back in the day... 
But you know, we don't know the contracts, obviously, but uh, it's all assumed that he is getting the lion's share here. Yeah. But I think that guys like, if guys like Duff and Slash can be like, all right, we're going to give Axel the lion's share, why would Izzy Stradlin be like, fuck you, Axel? That's where I get weird. I would tell you this. Right. I just talking with, working with the two people that are sitting across from me right now, okay? Yes. Like, if I piss Pete off, like to the point to where there was no return, mm-hmm. you would stick to your guns and tell me to kick rocks if I were like, look, man, you know what I mean? Like, our, our we got all those singles like Ball Sack Parade. They're going to want to hear that, mm-hmm. but <laughs> we want, but we're going to give you like a ton of money to, to put up with our bullshit, like to put up with my bullshit again. Will you do it? He would tell me to fuck off. I know you would. I know you would. I, I have a little bit of Izzy Stradlin in me. Yes. Uh, I, I, like, your principal. There's, there's yes. a part of you that, like, I ain't getting bought and you're being a thief. Like, I, I would walk away because if you're happy, who needs, see, you know, there is a who part needs of me, the fuck you money? See, there is a part of me that goes, I can be bought and I want to walk right into that. <laughs> I have no principles. Yes. Hit me up for money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. I, want, I want me and my nephews, Huey, Huey Dewey, and Louie, to go out there and have, live out our adventures with the fucky money that yeah. we earn for playing in Guns N' Roses. So, uh, I guess in essence, you guys are saying I'm Izzy Stradlin, yeah. and you guys I'm are Duff and Slash. I'm saying, I'm saying you're stupid. So, stu- I am the least important <laughs> member of, the, of the trio here. I'm saying you're stupid, Stradlin. <laughs> so, for walking away from that. I, I, bet, I bet Stradlin did all the work at, at the Guns N' Roses like, yeah. albums, too. He's <laughs> like, loading up the got no credit. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we don't know what happened. I right. mean, I'm no. sure there's things that people could do to me, where I, but if, if, like, if my ex, who was terrible to me and ruined my life, came up to me and was like... 20 years later. No, 25 years 25 later. 25 years later, I was like, I'll pay you $26 million yeah. Yeah. to blow me one more time. I'd be like, Steve, I gotta tap out. Yeah. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta go do this again. Steve's the current boyfriend, gotta, by the way, just to let the yeah. world know. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta do the reunion tour. And then like, guess what he's gonna go? He's gonna, ta- he's gonna tap you on the ass and go, go get him, champ. You know what I mean? $26 million. million. I don't know. I said 25, but I, I'm glad you added one. Whatever. $27 million. <laughs> the 30-ish million. Yeah, yeah. That's so much It could money. be more. It, it probably yeah. is more. If you're, if you're a core member, I, I would right. assume that, you know, when you break it all down, I mean, these guys are getting paid an obscene amount. But anyways, I want to know what Izzy Stradlin contributed to. No, well, contributed no. to. Yeah, does now. <laughs> No, he's probably not. He's probably living off the fucking money yeah. he made from Guns N' Roses back in 89. I, I am sure know? he is. That's but, what I'm saying. Yeah. But like, I want to know with, with Izzy Stradlin, like how much of, how much was he involved in the creative process with all those, with all those hits? You know, yeah. like how, wh- like we know Axl Rose wrote the majority of those songs, but like how much did he contribute to that? How many of those licks did he put into? I believe this is, this is just a theory. I believe if you are a rhythm guitarist, if you are like a Scotty and if you are like a James Hetfield, I feel a lot of what's brought to the table that's kept is from in them is from the rhythm guitars now obviously slash can do both and he is the highlight guitarist of guns and roses so i mean if i'm sure if you look at the credits i know izzy stradley wrote quite a few of the the hits and i know a lot of the songs that people like that are the underground not underground there's no real underground guns and roses song but a, a lot of the stuff that people like to hear is stuff that he sang or not saying that he wrote. I know he sang on a couple songs too. So I don't know that part of it, but I will tell you this is that he was the only core or key member missing to this reunion for a lot of fans. The, maybe that's the thing though. Maybe maybe he did put in a ton of work and it was fucking heartache and hard and terrible mm. and he has enough money. Now maybe he's not like, I don't need any more money. That's maybe it's just like... But to go tour and play the songs one last time and just get $26 million for it, ah, you know, I, I, don't, I think I would take the money. I but, think I'd be really? fine. But you know I, th- what, I think I'd be all right unless like Axel, like, I don't know, like raped my kid. Like something horrendously purged. Yeah, I went aggressive. Wow. <laughs> I went aggressive. Jesus, it started down here. You took it up here. 
we're like, maybe is he? Maybe he didn't get credit on some songs yeah. in your life. You know, like maybe I took know, it personal, like yeah. personal to a level of I might murder him backstage. Yeah, like yeah. like maybe if Axl Rose made a necklace out of my mom's ears, like maybe I would say no. I saw Death Wish this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know where that came out of. Yeah. <laughs> ah, damn. So, we're missing something here. There's a puzzle piece we're missing that we're yeah. not understanding. I just think it's ego. I guarantee you, it's just ego. It could be. I, that, I he, mean, ego is strong. Yeah, e- e- ego is strong. But you know what, though, and again, it's not like <laughs> it's not like Izzy Stradlin probably makes so much money in the studio too. I mean, it's yeah. like he's probably got a nice, comfortable life, and he's looking at it like, look, man, you can. You know, we all know that more money, more problems, right? right. There was a there was a rapper that taught us that lesson. The point of fuck you money <laughs> is <laughs> the point of fuck you money is to be able to say fuck you, right? So if he already has fuck you money, he already had he was know? yep he was already in the corner saying fuck you didn't need it. All right, I gotta get. I mean, it's like on one hand, on one hand, it's very punk rock of him. Like on one hand, we're just like yeah, yeah, man, stay true to your guns, stay true to your guns. And the next thing you know, we're just like, mm. but then we put ourselves in our shoes and we're just like, wait a minute, twenty five million dollars, right? Is like, you want to rethink? I respect this? You know? a man with principles, though, man. That's twenty five million dollars to do something extremely fun for a year or two. It's, it's like to play your songs with. I mean, to stadiums. That is like. I mean, I know it's a job because you're on tour. Don't get me wrong. I understand it's probably a little hard, but like the uh, the moment when you get yours on that stage I think it wears is off. probably pretty fucking nice. I think it wears off eventually. Yeah, twenty. he hasn't played stadiums in 30 years, bro. Yeah. So probably, it might have weared off six months in and he would have made $18 million and walked away. So fuck <laughs> I mean, yeah. Dude, Axel, Axel might have made like a shitty joke towards, towards him, but he's yeah. like, all right, well then fuck you, I'm out. He yeah. probably saw the whole road of what he's already gone through and yeah. then was like, nope, not doing this again. Man. I'm out. Mm-mm. So next story, guys, um, moving on to, well, serious topics again. We, uh, we do that on occasion. So uh, Take, uh, his North American tour, has been completely 100% canceled uh, due to pressures uh, from Antifa at all the venues that I do. Now, Take is not exactly a saint by any means. He, he, uh, the reason all these pressures came is from an incident in 2007 in Germany where he had a swastika painted on his chest when he performed. So uh, he has many times said that was bad judgment. Many times said he is, this is, you know, he's not a Nazi band. He does not believe in any of that ideology, yada, yada, yada. Um, he's also, uh, Vince wrote a very good editorial about his Islamophobic lyrics, which you guys can go check out on metalsex.net. But there's many reasons for uh, people to not accept his apology, I guess is what I'm saying. But how do you guys feel that in North America... When someone from a Norwegian underground band, not a huge following, he's not, he's not, he's not going to get thousands of people at these concerts. How do I feel about Antifa that dictating? That Antifa dictated that and shut it down. Fuck Antifa in Fuck the yeah. mouth. Fuck, Fuck them. them in their ass and then their mouth. Fuck you guys them. are using fascism to get rid of fascism. Right. I hate, you're worse. You're I, I worse. Hate, I hate what you stand for. You're making the problem worse. If you're listening right now, fuck you. Yeah. There you go. And it's like. Now, would and, and, you do and, a concert 25 years later from Antifa if you can make $26 million? Yes. Fuck yes, I would. <laughs> Antifa was just like, Gooch, we're going to pay you to do a speech. And then I would our, personally rub all their feet Exactly. <laughs> I, would, I would be out there and be like, if you see anybody, you punch them. It's, this is not the way that we're supposed to live. This is not the way that our country mm-hmm. is, is supposed to be. This is not the way that North America is. You don't get to dictate what goes on in a, in a venue. You don't get to say this isn't. Well, if there's people that want to go see it, that's part of the thing is people 
people want to be okay with what is okay for them, but they don't realize that you have to be okay with what's okay for other people. Mm. Well, That's what freedom is. Exactly. And what ends up happening here, and what, when Antifa just gets in the way of, is you got to understand, like, when it comes to racism, when it comes to, to these things that they say they stand against, like, obviously, right. they're so hardcore anti-racist that they're going to beat the shit out of someone who's racist. That's just not the way it works, because then all of a sudden you're going to create more fear on the opposition. Now all of a sudden their numbers are growing right. because they're afraid of you. Right. What's going to happen, Antifa, when the wrong when you go to the wrong show and then all of a sudden you get your bandanas and bats stuffed up your fucking ass? Like it's going to happen. And and and, but, and they're going to make a mistake whenever people do violent things. That's what I'm getting. They at. always get an innocent person gets that's what hurt, I'm getting. And at. when that innocent person gets hurt, say there say somebody walks by the venue and some Antifa member, you know. Thanks that someone going to the Takei show and beats the shit out of him. And it's like, no, I'm going to go meet my girlfriend at the Starbucks. That will happen. Well, that's like with that's, that, that's like that Virginia yeah. bullshit that happened with the with the idiot, uh, the tiki torch morons, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and somebody yeah. got killed. Well, dude, things got out of hand because Antifa started fighting with everyone, okay? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, tempers were raised, fear was raised, and then some fucking asshole got in his car and bowled over a bunch of fucking yeah. people. It would have never happened if those fuck faces would have stayed out of it. You have to let people speak their peace. Even if you even if you hate it, and I hate what the, op- the tiki torch yeah. whites, as Dave Chappelle calls them, I hate what they stand for more than anything, yep. okay? Okay? But by striking them, by committing an act of violence against them, all you're doing is strengthening their numbers because now you're using fear to be their glue. I remember when uh, I was in college, the Westboro Baptist Church, they came out in the middle of our uh, pretty much, you know, yeah. just open area. Ugh, and God, and no, no, no. They were chanting and screaming and chanting. Yeah. And all I saw was people walk by and ignore them. Right. The entire day. Walk by and ignore them. Nobody even like yeah. because and what has happened y- since you then? see their signs and you're like, oh yeah, this is someone you don't have to talk to. They're idiots, yeah. right? And I'm not even going to say what their signs said. People know. And the point is, is that by ignoring idiots, they go away. The media is doing a horrible job of of really putting like white supremacists on TV now and all these things. These things have always right. been around. And it's like. They don't need any media coverage. Well, and on top of that, this too, minority always, needs nothing. And when you're talking about you're when you're talking about like the KKK and the skinheads that they put on the news, mm-hmm. dude, that is such a small, know, small, well, small percentage of people. And they, but the thing is, though, is because of the media coverage, you're over here looking around. It's like, oh, it's like one out of every two white people. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, dude, like take it easy. Like you're it's you're putting not, too much fear into the it's world. It's not about education. It's not about news. It's about it's clicks. about clicks and ratings. Yeah, yeah. so you know that they put them on TV because. They know you scroll past and you're like, you're going to stop. And all Antifa's threats were uh, words on the internet. And uh, obviously, but you got it from a business aspect. I completely get it. Like uh, we've seen so many venues come and go because there's a stabbing that happened at that small. And they don't, the insurance and one, one lawsuit on a venue that holds 500 kids for a metal or punk band. That venue's closed, yeah, dude. They can't rat. even risk shit, especially for something, somebody like Takai or Takei who, uh, won't, I, you don't know how many people he's going to bring out is what right. I'm saying. So if he brings out a show of, let's just say, 100 people, that's probably a win for the venue. But if it's 20 people and you have violence and you get shut down, you know, which is possible in some of these locations that he's going, it's not worth any yeah. venue. And now people are also pointing at that venue saying you're supporting, you know, 
Nazis or whatever, right. you know, which is absolutely unfair to the venue to, in my eyes. Right. But that's something that you you get linked to. These this, that's the thing that sucks is a lot of these venues that I love are doing it for the love of the game. They're not they're not rolling in yeah. the dough. They're like podcasts. Yeah, they're doing it to do. It. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. They're doing it to do it, and like the fact that you would. I don't know. It just, I can't imagine a world where it's like, well, we don't agree with it. So this thing can't happen. So I might get beat up. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't agree with it. So I might get I, well, beat up and stomped. And I see that kids is, at yeah. metal shows with their dads. I see kids with their moms and dads at metal shows. You're telling yeah. me that if a kid walked up, you're going to what? You're going to bat to the face well, a kid. And this is the, what and a this, horrible person. And this is the problem with Antifa. They think, and this is the problem with every single evil organization that's ever lived, Nazis included. They think they're doing the right thing. They think that they're fighting Nazis. I actually got into it on the internet. He's like, if somebody's if a Nazi's going to get punched, I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying. I love watching a Nazi get knocked the fuck out too. But uh, me doing it, I don't. But at the same time, I also support nonviolence more than the Nazi, Nazi right. getting fucked up. And it's like, yeah, do I like watching bad guys get theirs? Absolutely. But in this world, you have to understand there's a rubber band effect. And it's going to come right back your way. Right. And it will. Oh, yeah, and, it will. And, 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 and we talk about this all the yeah, time. And th- there is a reason, and I've brought this up a hundred times, there is a reason why Donald Trump is the president, and it's because people went too fucking far on the left, and then this guy jumped in, and that's the rubber band effect. And now the rubber band effect of Trump is, gonna is go Antifa. Back, yeah, and, and, but it's going to go back to the way people exactly, want it to be. Yeah. And, and uh, it's... And, and violent protests ain't going to make no. it go back no. to the way you no. guys want it. And no. not that, like, <laughs> not like no, what Takei did in 2007 was okay. It's just that he. Oh yes, he, none he, of us, none of us are okay with what he did. He repented. Yeah. He he was sorry. He knew. He knows what he did was wrong. He's human. What it was is again. And, but and, is it, that's the thing is like he he has to repent, and that's the one thing that people always have to realize when you do something like that, you have to be like, I'm so sorry. But you always have to, as a human, you know, you have to because you're a performer. In order to yeah. continue performing, you have to apologize. You cannot be like, yes, I did a swash gun. I test, understand. Right? So you have to be able to stop and say, okay, but you did this. You're right about that. And my thing is, is in metal too, mm-hmm. it's like there is this, there's this thing where they constantly have to try and out outrage people. You in know? black metal especially. Yeah, black yeah. metal especially. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so this is obviously some kind of uh, media ploy that he used. And it was a stupid fucking move. He thought he'd do it and be like, oh, that's so rock and roll, how you wore that symbol that represented millions of dead Jews. Like, he thought he, thought he was being fucking Jerry Lee Lewis up there or something yeah. like that. Like, he thought, he thought he was like, oh, look at all the awareness. I won't, you know, No, dude, you came out and you made a dick move. And it's like, again, I don't know, maybe, and here's another thing, too. Would he have repented if everybody were like, oh, my God, that was so rock and roll when you wore that sign? Like, no, dude, I don't think he would have. So the fact no, that- the reaction is why he did. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Like, his, his apology um, doesn't hold much weight with me. Right. However, he should damn well be able to play exactly. in North America. Yes. And if people want to go see him. Go ahead. The, the The best way to get rid of him in North America, if people don't want, don't go don't see go. him. Yeah. If his tour makes no money, he won't come back here. But I'll tell you something right now. This bullshit publicity that Antifa got him. Uh, yeah, more people have looked him up this week in the metal community and listened to his music and know about his shit now because of Antifa than they did two exactly. weeks prior. It's, it's and the, the metal community is loyal, so yeah. they they will come after right. somebody who threatens it. And on top of exactly, and that is a threat against the metal community. Mm-hmm. No matter how you slice it, even though this guy was using that stupid propaganda to try and make some noise no matter how you slice it 
the medical community is always going to band together because again, this was, this has always been the music that society shuns. Yeah. So it's like, so now you're making these people tighten even right. more. You know? So all they've done is done good PR for him. Exactly. It's, it's that's all Antifa ever does for, it's the for same these, thing, these bands. That's all they ever do. It's they the never same do thing good, with Chick, PR. Yeah. It's the same thing like when Chick-fil-A, when they remember when Chick-fil-A, Whoa, they Chick-fil-A. Were, well, they remember when they were saying they weren't, they weren't against gay, they were against gay marriage. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's like, oh, fucking boo Chick-fil-A, bad, you know, boycott Chick-fil-A. But the Christians showed up in record numbers and gave Chick-fil-A like the highest sales that they had. They had people lining up around the block just to get one of their shitty chicken sandwiches because somebody threatened their religion. And the same fucking thing is going to happen here. Antifa, fuck you. I hope all of you catch cancer and die. Mm. On that note, mm-hmm. Jazzy, you want to say something sweet? Um, not if you have kids or a family that Thank you love. Thank you. No, <laughs> them too. Thank you. I, hate, no, I no, know no, what no, you stand no. for. Brandon, let, let's let's go off sweet. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's go off sweet before All the right. interview here. I'm, with sure you have, I'm sure you have nice Jordans, Antifa. Let's, let's not like go. I, there you go. Let's, yeah. let's not cancer kids. Let's I'm sure. Right I'm sure your your cute white suburban family uh, loves you very much, Antifa. Thank uh, you very much. Uh, that's that. How you know what? They're Anyways. all they're all pussy white people. That's all they are. I I. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, I got you. I got too angry there. I got too. I just hate Antifa. I hate what they stand for. All right, guys. Before my interview with Jeff, uh, I want to tell you guys about something right now. This April, Blacklight Media Records will release Gozu's new album, Equilibrium. With roots in 60s psychedelia and classic rock, the fuzzy stoner riffs of the 70s, the grit of 90s grudge, and the winning dirty rock and roll that has, in recent years, made a resurgence. Gozu has been churning out killer records since 2009. Equilibrium is certainly the catchiest and most instant music dropped by the quartet, embracing their love of pop music, but without compromising on any of the other vital elements of their sound. Pre-order the new album now at www.blacklightmediarecords.com slash gozoo. Once again, blacklightmediarecords.com slash gozoo. And now, everybody, here is my interview with Jeff Irwin from Will Haven. Hey everybody, it is I, Petter, Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Jeff Irwin from Will Haven. We're here to talk about Muerte, which comes out March 23rd. Now, is this in any way the death of Will Haven, or am I reading too much into the title? Uh, well, you kind of, yeah, well, we don't know yet. Uh, initially going into it, yeah, we thought this would be our last record. And then after we got done, we're like, well, maybe we'll keep doing some stuff you know, after this, but you know, with Will Haven, it's always been one of those bands where we don't know exactly what we're going to do. You know, it's like, it's like I said, it's, it's that kind of a hobby for us at this point. So we just kind of take it day by day. You know, if these guys want to do another one, we'll do it. If not, there's no pressure not, you know, to do one. We just do it because we just love playing music with each other. Um, so we, we just, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. I think we'll kind of see what the response is after the record. If people want another one, we'll do one, but if it just kind of, comes out and dies out and we'll just do something else. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to happen here at the moment. Gotcha. And it's such a strong record, man. It's, it's all, all, all six LPs are and, and the EP, they're all very strong, but the dynamic and like sonically, mm-hmm. it just seems to be so much, uh, I don't know if, uh, there's less distortion in it or something. It's just, it sounds a little cleaner than mm-hmm. previous works. Is that something that we're, cause I know you co-produced it, correct? But the mixing went to Logan, uh, matter, and yeah, correct. So, uh, is is that something that you guys were kind of going for on this one? Uh, I think, well, production wise, yeah, we wanted something that was. I mean, originally when we started talking about who was going to do the record, we were going to go back with Eric Stenman, who did the first three records. 
um, because initially we thought this would be our last one, so we'd just go back to where it all started from, let Eric do it again. Um, Eric got tied up in doing some other bands, so he couldn't do our record. So we went to our friend Joe here in Sacramento, and I was like, well, you know, Joe's a great engineer. You know, he knows what he's doing, and then if I just kind of just take the reins and tell him exactly what I want, he'll do it. So we did it with him, and yeah, it was kind of the idea was, to, for me, the idea was just to make something that sounded big. You know, I didn't want to sound like everything was kind of disjointed or, you know, you hear the guitar and then you hear the drums and it's like, I wanted everything to kind of mesh together and just sound huge. And that was kind of the goal we had in mind because there were so much soundscapes because we'd written these songs way before we went to the studio. So we'd already written the songs. We practiced them about six months before we went into the studio. So we had the songs dialed. We knew what they were, what they were going to sound like, you know, so we went to the studio. I was like, we just want something big to capture just the whole emotion, the dynamics of the record and, you know, and try to fit everything in there. It's hard because you have a million tracks going on. You have the guitars, the second guitars, you know, the drums and backing vocals and vocals. And it's just like, try to get that all together and make it sound cohesive is really, really hard. But, um, but I think we, we made it work and we made it happen. And yeah, it captured exactly kind of what I was hoping for when we went into the studio. Excellent, man. And, and as a fan, as a listener, uh, for me, I, I noticed, I kind of see you guys in three stages. And I don't know mm. if, if, if that's fair to say, but like uh, El Diablo is turning 21, so it's legal drinking age now. But <laughs> yeah. the Stenman records, that's like the youth of Will Haven, the three classics, Diablo, WHVN, and uh, Carpe Diem. That's like the youth. I see the mm-hmm. Hierophant as like the divorce. I think we all have practice marriages. So I, I see it kind of as, as a divorce record. Great record, don't get me wrong, but it's just mm-hmm. a different style and sound. And then from Vior Dyer on, open to discomfort, and this one, it's like the adult, the artistic, the, the it's a different style of Will Haven. Like to me, these records are to be listened from start to finish and they're very cohesive, you know, mm-hmm. opposed to songs. I don't know mm-hmm. if, is that fair to say? Do you agree with anything I, I said? I think you totally nailed it. No, yeah, I mean, I, is... I, I totally, totally agree with you on that, yeah. And it's funny because when I look back on Will Haven, I, I feel the same way, but more as a musician because, you know, El Diablo, for me, was just kind of, it still blows my mind because, like, we had just started learning how to play instruments. Like, when we started Will Haven, none of us played the instruments we do now. We all kind of rotated. I played drums, I switched to guitar, Wayne played bass, he switched to bass, you know, Mike really had a, never played bass before. He had a bass, we never played it until he started Woolhaven. So we were so young, we had no idea what we were doing. We were just making noise. And El Diablo was just kind of a, a magical thing that happened. You know, we didn't know anything going into that. And we actually came out with a pretty cool record. So we were kind of just, we were trying to build from that and try to learn as musicians, you know, and try to learn how to write songs and stuff. So yeah, you're right. All those first three records are just us learning how to play music, basically. And then for Dyer, we're like, okay, we let's, now we're a little older. We can start incorporating some different sounds a little bit, you know, but still keep the Laven thing. And then, you know, Open Unbind of Discomfort was kind of just written really fast. I don't think we put a lot of time into it um, because Artery had came to us and said, you guys want to do an EP? We're like, yeah, let's do it. And we had done it really quick. So we didn't put, I mean, it came out cool, but not exactly what, you know, we didn't put a lot of time into it. Yeah, so I wouldn't really, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't really count that as pretty much as our you know growing base but i think with this record like this is exactly what we had kind of always invented uh, vision will haven to be for me personally like i always thought it would be well even to me was going to be a really heavy band with a lot of atmosphere and a lot of epic stuff going on and then 
so for me, like this is finally the record where I was able to put that all together. And I think just getting older and better as a musician and figuring stuff out and how stuff works, you know. So yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like it's it all kind of shows my progression just getting older as a person too. It's like you know there was the baby records, and then the, here we are finally reaching my potential as a musician. And with the the earlier records, like when a band first starts, I think like the the voice and the vocals are very important. That's why Grady was such a, a just a different voice for like for me yeah. especially when I heard that in '97. There's a, there's a couple bands out there. I mean, I know like Snapcase and Zayo, mm-hmm. and like I said, mm-hmm. you guys and and um, and I mean Drowning Man. There was just a different approach coming from all those bands, but like Grady's voice was just so dynamic for those early records because in a lot of ways it was stemming from hardcore yeah you know for me to to lean in because you guys were on the revelation records roster if i remember correctly and and all that stuff so so that was important and so when voyeur dire when that came out it was such an amazing piece to the puzzle and i know you guys when you toured that record you would play it in its entirety correct at some shows we played it once, and oh, it's, yeah, once. We, we yeah we played in London. We actually played like maybe two shows that whole tour, that whole album cycle. Yeah. Um, we played we played one show in London, and we decided just to play the whole thing front to front to back because you know a lot of bands they love writing their records, but then they never play half the songs ever again. You know, mm-hmm. so for us, like we just enjoyed writing that record and playing it. So like, let's just do the whole thing front to back. Screw it, you know. So we did it. A lot of people didn't. I mean, people enjoyed it, but it's like they didn't have really have the record yet, so they didn't get it. But um, for us, it was just fun to play a lot, all the way through. We've never done that ever in our lives, so we're like, let's just do it for fun. So I think because we were proud of that record, too. You know, we came out of that studio going, ah, we actually made something cool here. So it was just fun for us to play live. But uh, but for the listener, that record was like a set list. It was to me, you know. Uh, by the time he got to like A Beautiful Death, and that's another thing on that record is there were different voice voice things. Like he did some spoken word, um, and there yeah. was the ambiance would take over, but it was like a set list. It started strong, but you had a lot yeah. of that, that ambiance and a lot of that drawn in, and then you ended really strong. So it was the record you want to play live in its entirety, in my mind. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And it was kind of like, I think Vordire was a huge stepping stone for us, you know, as far as like, branching out to getting more ambient and more kind of just not so metal, you know, not so hardcore. Like we were kind of just kind of stepping out into that Pink Floyd world a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that that record definitely was a stepping stone to where we are now. Because um, now when people listen to Morte, they're like, oh, okay, I hear some Bordai references in there now. I get it. You know, if we had just jumped carpet into Morte, people would be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> it's like, where does Van Gogh go? So, but what's cool about Morte is like it. I think it expands our whole catalog. You know, you can hear some El Diablo, you can hear some Baby Chapin, you can hear some Carpe Diem for sure. You know, and and, and Vordire. So it, it's it's kind of it just we basically it was like a tornado and taking all our records and just put them in the spin cycle and here we are with this record. So it was just a, it was all those records were a huge building block to where we are now. But I think Vordire was a huge stepping stone for us as far as like okay we can. We can pull this off and not have people trip on it, you know? Yeah. Oh, 100%. And when I listen yeah. to the new record, like you said, it does that same thing. The The riff of Carpe Diem is, is one of my favorite of all time, especially on the outro. But you have yeah. that in this record. You have the same riffs, like you said. But then the second, like the song with uh, Mike Scheidt from Yob, where he's playing oh, yeah. No Escape. It's like track yeah, five yeah. or six, right? Yeah, correct. It completely, it's the first melody that I recall in your guys' catalog. And, yeah. it, and it completely, like I said, you, you have the song structure, the strength of Carpe Diem in the front, and then you have this haunting song in the middle. 
you know, before you do the, the, the finish with the, the track you guys did with Stephen Carpenter, El Sol, right? Oh, yeah. And that's, yeah, correct, that's a yeah. fantastic, you know, finish. So I think this is, to me, if I had to rank your records, this is the best record, you know. Awesome. Thank far. you, man. I appreciate that. And, um, I appreciate it. It's because, like you said, the stages of any fan mm-hmm. that was with you guys all the way through knew that this is where the evolution of Will Haven probably should go, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I agree. I agree. And a lot of bands, like like from the hardcore, the punk, or, or any of that scene, like you, you want them to evolve into something where, like you said, the instrumentation you know, takes some precedence or like what they experimented with, they keep going with, but they always go back to the first few records, you know? Yeah. But I just think cause I, I'd done an interview recently and, and somebody had asked me basically, you know, where are you at? Where are you at now? And I, where do you feel now? And I said, well, I feel now that we're an actual band, mm. like those first three records, whatever. I didn't feel like a band, you know, I just felt like we were just kind of, we were still a garage band, you know, like we were still finding our roots and finding our, our, identity and now with this record i feel like a real band i feel like a real musician a real band that we put something out and it's funny because it's taken what 25 years to actually feel like we're an actually certified band now (laughs) you know so it's getting older you know it's like you get older you start you know your brain slows down you're not thinking about other stuff like now i'm able to just focus on music and expand it and and do stuff that i probably was afraid to back then or didn't know how to do so it just it just comes with getting older and mature and, and aging, you know. But uh, yeah, I feel now that we're actually a band. We're actually a real band now. <laughs> nice man. No, yeah. it, it comes through big time. So one thing I did want to uh, touch base on is the artwork, the cover artwork. At least I, I have, I pre-ordered my physical copy, but I haven't gotten. But the cover artwork, it it's um, the artwork. It shows like a golden, like kind of a fen- feminine hand reaching down mm-hmm. to a shadowed mm-hmm. masculine hand, and that image Correct. can have many interpretations. But what does it represent to you? Uh, life and death. You know, uh, muerte is basically means death in Spanish. And we originally got that name from, um, you know, we thought this was going to be the end of Will Haven. So we just called it, we were going to call it, you know, death, but we can't, we don't use that. You know, <laughs> it's kind of, so we always, we, and, and through our years, we've always kind of used a different language, you know, if, and we've had, you know, El Diablo's obviously Spanish. So, you know, we, we kind of wanted to take on that, too. So we use Muerte's death in Spanish. Um, and for me, it was that that was kind of the start of it. And then for me, it's, you know, death has always been a huge part of my life as far as, like, inspiration and emotion. And, it, I mean, the power of death is, is huge. You know, it's a huge inspiration for me writing because, like, I can get that feeling of, like, the hopeless and despair and, and missing somebody and, you know, just the end of eternity. It's like there's so much surrounding the word death and for me it just it helps me create and musically you know so a lot of the soundscapes you hear are basically me thinking like of losing somebody or dying you know or the fear of death so the, a lot of that a lot of the soundscapes you hear in the new William record are based on that emotion and the and the fear of it so for when so when we came up with our work uh, it was actually done by uh, an art director he had come up with the concept and then we we kind of manipulated it to where it's just the hands and there's no writing on it whatsoever, just the hands. I think it felt like it was an iconic thing. Uh, and it just was very, a lot, way more powerful and there was just no words on it. You, know, you just saw the two hands and that was it. So people can have their own interpretation of it. But for me, it, it's like, you know, somebody letting go of somebody who's dying. And that the black hand is there, them passing away. And then the light hand is them letting go of it. Either it's the same person, they're dying, or it's somebody they know is dying. And they're just letting go of it, you know. And then all the feelings that come with that. So that's kind of what it's, it's based on that. And that's, 
Yeah. I think it turned out really cool. It's oh. kind of, it's, it's hard to like not be, it's hard to be cheesy, you know, when it comes to that, you know, especially with the album cover and that Marte of death, it's like, you could do so many, you could do a tombstone, you know, something like that. So it's like, you can get in real trouble as far as like, you know, trying to do a little too much, but I think that just nailed it. You know, like there's no words you even have to like put on there. It just, it, it means it, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree. And that's, I mean, like you said, de- death is, it's the most like surreal like fact of life, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a truth, but it's surreal. Cause yeah, it, like no one talks about it. No yeah. one talks about it, but also like it, when someone close to you dies, you are never the person you were the day before. You know? Exactly. And I, I think that's a big fear of it and for me anyway, cause I, I, you know, I've had grandparents pass away, but mm-hmm. you know, when it's somebody like, you know, you're even your pet, you know, it's like that, yeah, I have two dogs, and if one of them passes away, I, that's going to just wreck me. And they're they're my pets, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when your parents pass, or you know, when I, you know, Chi was very was pretty close to me when he passed away. That was like really for me, like whoa, my friends are passing away, you know, like somebody I toured the world with, and I was an inspiration to me. It's like he's gone now, you know, and I can't see him anymore. So that affected me. It's I mean, not as much as a family member, but that definitely affected me, and and it went into like sort of the writing process too. You know, I wanted to make him happy and and. And, and think of him when I was doing this record, you know, cause he was, you know, he was my, even close to my age, you know, he was a fellow musician and it, it hurt me, but yeah, it's like that whole thing of death is like, it's, it's, it's something we don't talk about, but everybody's going to experience it some way or another, exactly, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a fear. It's a definitely a fear. You don't have no idea what's after life. You don't know what's coming. You know, it's like, you don't know what you're going to feel when somebody passes that you're close to. It's, it's horrifying, you know, but at the same time, it definitely, moves me into writing and put, uh, putting into my music. You know, it definitely is a big ins- inspiration for me about writing music for sure. And it, and it will, if, if, if I may, I'm sorry, it, it may, it may transcend in, into a peaceful place for you to focus on something, you know, that you want to share with the world opposed to like kind of chaos because that the feeling that you get when someone passes, when you're close to you, it, it does silence everything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know if you agree with that statement or if, if you see kind of what, what I was saying, but like for me, like when, when someone close to me did pass, like I said, I, I will never be the person I was the day before, but I mm-hmm. also, everything slowed down to where mm-hmm. I can see what's important and, and mm-hmm. what I wanted to do where before it, it's an aimless arrow kind of as yeah, a human. Correct. Know? Yeah. I totally agree with you there. And, and I think that our music represents that. I think the heavy, heavy part of our music is the chaos, you know, the everyday life going on. And then when something tragic happens, you know, you get this big ambient epic thing going on and that's when you become kind of at peace and just kind of let go, you know? And, uh, I think that's what my, for me, that's what our music represents. So the heaviest heaviness is just chaos. It's crazy. And then you get to this point where it's like just really open and epic and you're just like laying there going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with what's going on right now. You know, and that's what our music represents. And for me, that's life. You know, it's like, you're crazy, 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 and all of a sudden you're you're laying on your deathbed and you're floating away into heaven or outer space, whatever you believe mm-hmm. is going to happen after after death. And that's what our that's when you hear the epic stuff come in, like even the ending of of the song No Escape with Mike. That's kind of the envision I had. It's like okay, somebody's laying there and they're floating away to wherever their next you know existence is, you know. And so I think that that's when I say when this that you know death inspires me. That's the vision I get in my head when I write these songs. Is exactly kind of what you're saying. Yeah, the beauty of it. Yeah, which is yeah. I completely I completely relate. Now, let me ask you this not to go off topic too much, but um sure. we we talk on occasion about spirituality and stuff like that, not like religion, 
but just the moments <laughs> that we'll have at concerts, like those epiphany moments when like, you know, the right set list is done or one of your favorite bands play uh, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Now, um, so a lot of my beliefs and my feelings like as, as a human are fiction in, in, the, in, in terms of life, like all the things that I hold dear to me. And I'm not talking right. about like, you know, my loved ones, but I'm talking about music, movies, mm-hmm. art, books, all the things that I, I think are worth living for in this life um, are fiction. So does that in a way make me believe in false things and that we should all live in fiction? Or do you think that facts and truth are the only way to, I guess, kind of get ahead in this life? What do you think about that? I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that believes in, for me, like it has to be factual for me to believe in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's why I'm not a very, I'm a very spiritual person, but more not religious person. You know, I'm more of a, of a hippie kind of soul, you know? Um, but yeah, for me, like when it comes to anything tangible, I think I have to like hold it, see it or feel it, you know? Um, and music for me is that way, you know? Um, and I think that's why music, that's, I think that's why I'm so kind of an ass when it comes to music. You know, I don't like a lot of music because a lot of bands don't do that for me. Um, I think a lot of it seems plastic, but the era I grew up on, it felt really real. You know, like when I look at my inspirations, like Neurosis and even, even Deftones and bands like that, I feel that they're real. You know, I, there's something very tangible about those, those people and musicians and their songs they write, where there's, they're not, it's not fake. You know, there's something very heartfelt coming out of their music, um, so for me, musically, it has to be that. It has to be, it has to move me. It has to feel real. It has to feel emotional. It has to feel like it's come from their heart. Mm. You know, if you're just up there just playing just random songs and, and there's no emotion behind it, I, I'm not feeling you. You know, I'll, I'll, boo you, I'll be the first one to boo you off the stage. <laughs> it's like, um, so it just life is for me that way. Like everything has to be kind of real for me to believe it, you know, mm. um, and I, I'm like, I'm music or even movies to me. It's like, if there's, I don't even like sci-fi movies very much, you know, there's a few that I like, but there's a lot of, I, I like documentaries, stuff that it's like people have experienced and lived through and, and lessons being taught, you know, I, I got to um, tell you about documentaries, man. I, I adored them for forever, but I, I feel so many documentaries these days are opinions. It's, it's such a weird, yeah. thing, where it's like, there used to it, be like a, a boring thing to them, but yeah. also like, like you have to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely got to weed through some of the ones that, you know, um, I like more like true life stories, mm. you know, that, you know, the people have kind of been through and, and the struggles they've kind of gone through. Cause it's crazy. Like, you know, you sit next to somebody and you have no idea what they've been through in life. You know, um, like I, it's funny cause I have, you know, I'm friends with Chris from Slipknot and, you know, they wear masks and one knows. So we'll go out in public and we'll just walk around, whatever, and 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 you'll the, see a kid with a Slipknot shirt walk by, and he won't even know it's him. He'll just walk right by, and I was like, if that kid even knew who he was, he'd freak out right now. And that's how we are in everyday life. You walk by somebody, and you're like, you have no idea what they've done or been through, or you know what their life's been. And it, that's what kind of fascinates me. It's like I wish I could just sit down and talk to that person. Like, what do you do for a living? Like, what you, where have you been? Where have you traveled? You know, what what crazy stories do you have for me? You know. Um, so I love that stuff. And so documentaries, like I like learning about people that have had some crazy life or, you know, I, I like a lot of musician um, documentaries because 
because I learned a lot about my favorite bands and I was like, oh, I had no idea that they did that or that happened. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fascinating because you just don't know until you just until you talk to them and hear stories about it, you know? Yeah. The personality and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. And I grew up on like Errol Morris documentaries, you know, so it was harder for me to transition to the newer stuff, you know, where yeah, people, yeah. yeah, he, newer, he yeah. was so amazing and his presentation, you know, of everything. Yeah. So, but that's like you said with film, but also like, like even like the films that like, I don't know, I'm thinking of a director, like Greg Araki. Do you know who that is? Mm, not okay. familiar with him. So early in, when he did his like teenage apocalypse trilogy, I don't know if these are even available anymore, but there was three films. It was like totally fucked up doom generation. And I think the third one was called nowhere. Right. And they mm-hmm. kind of showed what it was like to be a teenager in like the nineties, how nothing was nothing real ever happened. So it was extremely drama filled, you know, cause nobody <laughs> actually like, for example, like this was pre like Columbine, for example. So everything was so important, but nothing real actually happened yet. Mm-hmm. So everybody was like edgy and on edge and wanted to push levels. And if you watch those movies today, they might not hold up well, but they're as honest as a representation of people that as they can be from back then. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and uh but then when real things happen, people in society changes, you know, for for I mean, I've seen it for the better. Like I I've said it many times that I I don't think there's a better time to live than right now, you know, despite uh all the fighting that's going on, you know, on the internet and things like that. I still think that there has never been a better time, a more progressive time, um and I think a, a healthier future in my mind. Do, uh, do you yeah. disagree with that or no? Well, it's funny cuz my I always bring this topic up to my me and my girlfriend talk about this all the time it's like i uh i feel that the human brain hasn't developed yet as far as you know compassion you know i think we're getting there mm-hmm. i mean i think over time it will our brains haven't fully developed yet to our environment so i think there is some compassion but it's not quite there that's why you see so much chaos because i don't think we've developed as a human species yet so i think it's going to take you know a long time for us to get there but i think when we do, I think this will be a definitely a different world. So you definitely see a change slowly, you know, in that. So when you say it's a great time to be alive and, you know, there is progressions because our brains are actually adapting to our environment, you know, and, it, and our brains will always crave change and always try to, I think, I think humans are just a good, you know, I mean, our intention is to be good people, you know, uh, like the environment drives people to go crazy. Um, but, I think our intention is to be good people because, you know, majority of the people you meet, they're, they're friendly, they're nice, they'll help you out if something happens, you know, but there are a lot of people that don't. But, um, but I think over time our, our brains will develop and this will definitely be a different world, you know, as far as if, the, if mankind can keep it going and, and not screw it up, you know. So I think it's just, for me, it's just a, it's just a human uh, um, progression and, uh, and and our brains and our bodies and so yeah it's definitely a different world when we were kids and growing up in the 90s for sure you and know it's been um, it's it's like it's been better like to me from i remember growing up and i remember reading a, a quote by like charles bukowski who was like hate is the only thing that lasts that's what he wrote in uh one of his books that i read and i just remember holding on to that quote and i'm like bukowski knows what's up you know and then the older <laughs> you get you realize you're like 
okay, Bukowski knew what was up in Bukowski's land, but this isn't our land. You know, hate isn't the only thing that lasts, you know, even though it sounds like a cool thing to tattoo on me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's not not the case. Um, Yeah. Because I've seen as you get older and you lose that hate and you lose that anger that really didn't make sense and all those things that peace, love, all and like you said, that kind of the hippie things, those things are seen more. People do want to get along. People, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and the loud voices on like the media or the TV and stuff like that, that's, that's, that's a sliver of, of actual people. But on a day-to-day basis, when you walk around and you talk to everybody and you see things, how often is confrontation in your life? You know, for, yeah, for yeah, me, it's like yeah. minimal, you know, yeah. very minimal. And, yeah. if, and if it does happen, it's because uh, for some reason I started it, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, people, have, I think the initial tension is people to be good, you know? And like you, the stuff you see on TV, that's just all, that's the evil is that behind, those are the bad people you don't want to mess with, you know, that run those corporations, you know? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think people intentions are to be good, you know? And I think it'll get better over time. It's going to take, you know, maybe a hundred, 300, 500 years for people to kind of get their brains developed to like, where there is just full on compassion. So if you see somebody fall on the street, you know, you see 10 people run over there and pick them up instead of have two people run over there and, you know, seven people or eight people laughing at them, you know, it's like, it'll get there eventually, but we're still kind of, I think right in that flux of like, of, you know, people kind of being still caveman, but then still progressing to being an actual compassionate human being. I think we're still in that, gray area right now but it, but uh i mean hopefully it'll get better you know i i believe it will i think it just naturally has to you no, know I, unless I we all too. unless we all get evil which i don't think is gonna happen but nah, it's it's yeah. it, evil makes no sense in real life to me you know i mean like i think if people can actually see the evil they do i think that they would grow compassion you know i just think a lot of evil is is done from a distance if that makes sense you know yeah, I, I think evil's environmental too. You yeah. know, I mean, it's because I, I, I'm drawn to really dark evil music. You know, I'm not that kind of person, but I'm drawn to it. So, you know, I grew up with that, and that's kind of why the the music I write is very dark and evil. And it's because that's the stuff I was drawn to when I was a kid. So, um, if I had listened to Kenny G my whole life, and I'd probably be playing a saxophone right now. You know, so it's like, it's kind of where you grow up in your environment and what you're drawn to. You know. Um, but you got to like, I think that's where it comes into human compassion. Cause like, I love like cannibal corpse, you know, they talk about murdering people, but I'm not that I would never go out and murder somebody. You know, I'm, I'm a compassionate person. I love people. So it's like, you can have those influences, but you gotta, I think your brain has to like be developed to where it's like, you're not going to actually go do that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a source of inspiration, but it's not your life. You know, it's not how you are as a human. So, um, completely agree. And like you were saying, yeah. cannibal corpse or horror movies, but like growing up in the nineties, like we were talking about, like real things didn't happen. So those things were cool, were edgy, were interesting and all those things. Yeah, where that's I, true. I understand yeah. if someone, you know, that's 15 years old right now that, survived some sort of horrific thing that you know uh some sort of mass shooting something like that cannot listen to cannibal corpse i understand that you know? <laughs> yeah that's and true. I, I don't want to sell it to them uh but i want to sell it to them it's like one of those weird things but like, no no no. but it's like no if i if i understand that that frightens you i, I get that but yeah and that's, yeah, that's it's 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 tough because i love like you said anything that's uh you know fictional or over the top or anything like that that's aggressive dark love it you know yeah i think it's just simple i mean because i think you and i are seem like you know we're just very we're compassionate people mm-hmm. so it's got to have that yin and that yang you know you just can't be happy and compassionate all the time you got to find something dark that kind of like inspires you or moves you in a different 
path and you're just doing your normal everyday life, you know? And I think that's why Will Haven's such a cool outlet for me because I'm a happy person. I play, you know, I play golf, you know, with my buddies and I do stuff like that. And then I have this Will Haven side of me. It's just like, it's evil. It's dark. When I play live, I want to smash everybody's face in, you know, it's like, it's like having that yin and that yang. And, it, and I think that's what makes me a happy person is that I have those two outlets, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm, I'm creating art, but my art's very dark. It's the dark part of me that I can, you know, expose the world, but not have to like take action against you know, anybody. It's like, I have that outlet for me. And I think that's why Will Haven is so important to me and the rest of the guys. It's like, we have that, we're a really happy bunch of dudes. We're super sweet, but then we can be, we have this outlet where we can be a little dark and a little edgy, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. That's actually perfect how you said it. Cause that's exactly yeah. how I feel about, yeah, exactly yeah. how I feel about things. Now, speaking of touring though, I mean, you guys, like you said, you don't, you don't tour a ton. I, I've only seen you one time, bud. And this was, uh, no, really? WHVN Soulfly. Uh, you guys opened oh, wow. for him at the Huntridge theater. I'm in Las Vegas, by the way. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was the only time I ever saw you guys, man. And it was kind of cool. Cause I, Grady came out there. He signed my my CD, dude. He, he actually read the barricade. So was, I remember that show because Max actually signed my SG that night, and I still have it hanging on my wall. Oh, really? How cool is yeah. that? Yeah, dude. That yeah, because was... I had this SG and I wasn't really playing it very much. And I was like, Max, we just signed my guitar, so I have something with you on it. And he's like, Yeah. And he wrote this whole message on there and signed it. And that was at that. It was backstage of that show. At that show. Pretty funny. That's yeah. And, yeah at and that show. Logan was in Soul Flat at the time, right? Logan Mater. I, I can't remember. You know what? God, I don't know either. I mean, yeah. God, there's so many change, lineup changes, right? Yeah. I, maybe he might have been. Yeah, I'm not sure. And that was the only time I saw you guys, man. We're going back wow. 99, 98, 97. Yeah, maybe. 99. Yeah. 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 And uh, so um, you guys got some tours set up right now for the West Coast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about driving out to one of them. Uh, the oh, brick, sweet. The brick sweet. by wick, brick one in San Diego. That's what I got my eye on because why wouldn't you go to San Diego, right? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then I know you guys are playing out in Portland and stuff. But the point is, is, that, is there going to be a kind of a bigger tour if you guys decide that this is your last record? You know, we're just kind of playing everything by ear. I think that the shows came up because we don't, like we said, we don't play very much. So I think having a new record out gave us opportunity to like, okay, let's go out and play some shows now. It's like people... We have a new record out. Let's just go play because we don't play at all. So, like the last show we played, we played San Francisco about a month ago. But before that, it had been like two and a half years since we actually played a show. So, for us, it was like just be able to get out there and play. Um, and we just take this band day by day. Like, we have no idea what we're going to do. We have no idea what's going to ahead of us. Like I said, if we put out, you know, this record and it bombs, then we'll just maybe write a new record or break up, you know. But if this record, just out of the blue blows up and we're playing the grammys like we'll do that too like we don't we have no idea what we're gonna do we have no idea what's in store for us i think being older it's like you don't you get excited but you don't get that kid excitement like oh my god we're gonna be huge you know it's like we're just like you know we're just we've been in this game for 30 years we know what's up you know you're it's uh people are gonna love it or they're gonna hate it you know but your life isn't really gonna change you know you're not gonna make money you're just gonna just gonna have fun with it you know so that's kind of our outset now. It's just let's just go have fun, book a couple shows, you know, and then see what happens. If we get if there's a, a demand for us to go play more, we'll play more. You know, if no one really cares, then we'll just stay at home and jam in our practice spot. You know, so um, for us, it's just about music. We don't really care about all the other stuff that goes with it. You know, touring is is kind of a pain in the ass these days. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so if we don't tour, we're cool with it. You know, if we do a tour, we'll have fun too. So. Like I said, we're just taking it day by day. We're having fun. Um, we'd like to play more shows if, if it's possible because we love playing live, but it's not, it's not like we're not setting out and trying to do like a whole half a year of touring and stuff like that. That's not our, it's not our style right now. <laughs> I completely understand. And now you, I, yeah. did, I did pick up a live 
DVD a couple years back. I think that's right when Grady left. Um, it was, yeah, correct. I think it was like yeah. your final show in 2005 or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So I had that DVD. Yep. Do, do you guys ever consider doing a, a live record, possibly, or a live DVD? Well, actually, what we were talking about, because we're actually going to have somebody come film at our CD release show in Sacramento, oh, nice. uh, film the whole show. And then we were thinking about maybe just doing like another, like we did that foreign films, do another one like that. Not so you know chaotic, more kind of grown-up style, or maybe probably interview some of the guys that haven't been, no one's interviewed those guys probably ever. Um, you know, maybe talk to old guys that were in the band originally, like, you know, Wayne and Mike and stuff like that. And then just kind of do maybe a little, a uh, little history of Will Haven and then, and then put that like kind of like a double CD with foreign films, maybe put that as its own little live show that people can watch. So we've talked about that. Cause like, yes, we don't play very often. So if we can put something live out, that'd be cool. Cause the people that never get to see us kind of get experience a little bit. Um, there's some stuff on YouTube, but you know, it's all camera footage not really doesn't sound that great so to have something that you can put on and actually sound kind of live and album quality would be really cool um so we were talking about that we don't know what's gonna happen we're kind of just talking about it right now but if if you think about it's muerte and then live see what i see what i just there you go (laughs) (laughs) there you go so it kind of it kind of yin and yangs itself that's how life works out man you never know well then maybe we'll uh we'll put a live in spanish on the on the dvd I want to know. I know that word. I know. I know. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to say the wrong words. So. Everybody, I'm telling you, Muerte, Will Haven. This is one of the best albums that came out this year so far. I cannot stop listening to it. And as I say that, yes, I know that a new CLC record came out, and all these other great <laughs> records have came out already. But I'm telling you guys, do not miss this one. Is top notch. Um, awesome. I've been a huge fan, Jeff, for a long time. Anybody, if you haven't, we're going to play the song that Stephen Carpenter wrote with Jeff right after the interview, so you guys get a taste of, of the album. But you got to listen to it from start to finish, dude. I'm telling you guys, it's well worth it. And if, if you haven't heard their back catalog, check them all out. All six records are fantastic. I, I recommend the EP, too. Um, as, as Jeff was saying, it was written a little quick, but that's an EP. But the records, yeah. guys, definitely worth checking out. So, Jeff, I want to thank you so much, man, for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast, dude. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you all the support, man. It's awesome. And I, I, we haven't heard many, many reviews of the record yet. So, um, say so for you saying that, that means a lot, man. I really, really appreciate it. So I kind of take it to heart because I haven't really heard much about it. So if you're saying that, I, I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm telling you, man. But Vior Dyer got like 50 best metal albums of the year at Metal Hammer, like back in 2011, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Or it was like 50 for the year. Uh, this one. Yeah. And I, I forgot what number you guys were. It was like 30 something. I can't remember. But yeah. this year, this was going to be higher on that list. I'm telling you. Awesome. This is yeah. a perfect I mean, transgression, it, dude. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, we wrote it for, you know, for us and for fans like you that know William Catalog and, and our fans. And, you know, we want to just make, make our fans happy. You know, it's a lot of bands, they put out a record, especially older bands. And it's like, they just don't kind of live up to it. And we're like, well, we got to make, we got to push this envelope. We got to make our fans happy and make them proud that they're William fans, you know, not let them down. So, And so I want to thank you, you for that because you totally nailed it, dude. Cool. Thanks. I mean, that means more to us than selling two records. You know, we just want our fans to be happy and enjoy it and, and just enjoy listening to it. You know, we kind of want to earn their respect again. So that oh. so means a lot, man. I appreciate it. Thank you.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
doesn't matter if it's punk, metal, or rock. Rockabilia is your one-stop shop for all band merch. They have over 500,000 items to choose from. Hard to find stuff that you can't get anywhere else with the largest selection of music merchandise available in the world. Doesn't matter if it's hats, shirts, autograph items, patches for your battle vest. Rockabilia will have you covered. And everything is officially licensed. Don't fall for the Chinese counterfeit band merch on Amazon or the targeted Facebook post promoting a bootleg product. If you support Rockabilia, you're supporting the artists. Been around since 1987 with 30 years of giving you the best memorabilia. And for special discounts, use the promo code PCJabberJaw. So for your punk, metal, and rock memorabilia, there's only one place to go, www.rockabilia.com. All right, guys, and we are back. Uh, First song you heard uh, is called El Sol. That is a song written with Stephen Carpenter of the Deftones. Second song, Winds of Change. Guys, this record, I'm telling you right now, is... uh, Definitely one of my favorites of this year so far. It's very, very, very much at the top right now. Got to go out there. Got to check it out. And anybody out there who has never heard of Will Haven or don't know, this is a band you need to know on your radar. So go check them out ASAP. I can't tell you the importance of this band uh, my entire life. So uh, it was just a, a great time to actually get to talk to Jeff about about his whole you know the whole career and stuff like that. So with that, guys. Um, we hope nobody cancels cancer uh, on one level, but fuck Antifa. Two-thirds of the group think so. <laughs> fuck Antifa. We all agree on that. We all agree on that. We do. We, we all do. We all do. So uh, anyways, until next week, guys, Metal Sucks Podcast, over and out. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.